I'm Tavis Meyer. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. What a historic day this is in America. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, the first former president to be twice impeached, then indicted, is presently now under arrest at the criminal courts building in Manhattan uh, and awaiting arraignment. It is quite a day. Uh, there's no one I've talked to more about this than our regular contributor, Connie Rice, towering public intellectual. Uh, and I'm d- delighted to have her on with us now. Uh, is Michael there as well, Miles? Um, the guest scheduled this hour is also here. Um, so we're going to talk to Connie for a few minutes, get her take on this, and then move forward uh, in conversation with the, uh, the brilliant scholar, prolific author, uh, as we commemorate today also being the 55th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. I'm sure Connie will want to comment on that as well before we let her go. But it's it's the anniversary of King's assassination 55 years ago today on April 4 in Memphis. It's election day in Chicago, historic mayor's race there. This huge race with the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, in, 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 in Wisconsin. Uh, it's just a lot, a lot going on today. Uh, and so we, uh, we've been moving through all these things for the past three hours, uh, last two hours. But I want to get Connie's take on this. I called Connie immediately because I know that, again, we've discussed this so many times. And I didn't want to wait till tomorrow. Maybe she'll get back uh, back tomorrow with more time. But I want to get her initial thoughts right now as we're watching this in real time. Connie, what does this say to you about our democracy? Well, we're trying to hang on with everything we've got to the rule of law, Tavis. There's a war on the rule of law, there's a role, there's a war on democracy. And Trump is one of the avatars of that war. Um, you know, the, 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 the same contingent of Americans who tried to destroy the democracy of the Civil War, they're doing it again. And so we're, we're, we're in the midst of this. Now, this, this may not seem like it's connected to that, but the fact that he is being arraigned right now, well, he hasn't entered the, the doors quite yet, but he will shortly be under arrest in custody in New York, and he will have to appear before a judge, just like hundreds of defendants, criminal defendants across the country, even though he's the former president of the United States. And what that tells you is that it isn't, it's not that he's being treated exactly the same. No, most defendants don't arrive on their, on their own plane, and they don't have media breathlessly following him in a, in a two-car limousine, cow, you know, <laughs> motorcade, motorcade yeah, yeah. you know, like, like it's the O.J. Simpson trial or something ridiculous. No, so it's not exactly the same. But, but let's, let's pause for a minute. It's never happened before. This is a man who has never been held to account for almost anything he's ever done. And um, this is this is probably the first of five major actions against him. This is the uh, indictment for the Fraudulent Business Records Act. But it might be, we'll find out if the indictment is read today, whether it's been tied up into a conspiracy to bring it to a felony level. The other cases that I think are more serious or maybe weightier are the uh, most important is the top secret documents case mm-hmm. where he hoarded the documents and said, I get to keep them. And we talked about selling them. <laughs> and Richard mm-hmm. Nixon got to sell the document. That, that, that's probably the most serious. And then you have uh, um, uh, uh, D.A. Willis's uh, case against him for interference in the Georgia election. You also have, this is the hush money fraud case that he's being arraigned for for today. There's a rape trial, and probably most significant for our democracy, his, his, the investigation of his role in the, in the violent insurrection that resulted in the deaths of seven people in the Capitol on January 6, 2021. So what we're seeing is the beginning of the accountability for Donald Trump. 
Mm. Uh, Mike Dyson, uh, good to have you on. We're going to spend the rest of the hour uh, in, in a moment talking about uh, this historic day vis-a-vis the anniversary of the assassination of, uh, of the person that you and I both regard as the greatest American uh, this country's ever produced, Dr. King, 55 years ago on that balcony at the Lorraine. Uh, but I want to uh, spend a few minutes with you and Connie again uh, talking about this moment because it's happening in real time. I don't need to color the question much more than that uh, for you, uh, Dr. Dyson. What say you about this historic moment happening right now in the criminal courts building in Manhattan? Well, Tavis, I just got to, first of all, it's great to be here with you and the great Connie Rice. Uh, I just got a note from Dr. King. Now, Tavis, you can go ahead and speak about this man who has assassinated the character of so many of my followers. So the thing is, Doc, (laughs) is that, look, they didn't get Al Capone on mafiosa racketeering. They got him on tax evasion, Doc. Mm -hmm. You got to get what you got to take what you can get. And, you know, what, what they say in basketball, take what the defense gives you. Mm-hmm. This, is what the, this is what the legal system has offered us as an entree into the, the magnitude of fascism, the authoritarianism, and the refusal to abide by law that this president has betokened. And so as a result of that, Alvin Bragg, who was being just eviscerated, mm-hmm. oh, you didn't step up. You didn't, you didn't charge where you should have charged. You're overcharged. You're undercharged. You didn't charge at all. My God, you're a failure. What he did was to take his time to make certain that these were defensible claims to be made, not overreaching legally, so that you could hold to account this emblem of American repudiation of legal, uh, of, of legal and jurisprudential rationality. And that coming at the end of the day, just everybody, ain't nobody above the law as Attorney Rice said, and this shows at the end of the day, you can have your insurrection if you want to. You can go out there and beat up on the electoral system if you want to. You can have the rigged uh, and gerrymandered system if you want to. At the end of the day, the law will catch up with you, and that's what has happened to him today. I'm watching I'm watching uh, my television in the studio while I'm talking on the microphone, so I'm, I'm multitasking today. And Alvin Bragg, <laughs> Alvin Bragg just appeared in the hallway uh, uh, on uh, the network that I'm watching. Uh, Alvin Bragg just uh, popped through the hallway, saw his face as uh, Dyson uh, uh, called his name. He, he appeared on cue, Mike. Uh, he, he shows up in the hallway. <laughs> Look, uh, Connie and I discussed this the other day. I want to get your take on it, and I'll get back to Connie in a second here. Um, what do you make of the fact, 55 years after they killed Dr. King, thinking of Jim Crow and Jane Crow and segregation, 55 years later, MBD, we have not one, not two, but three black prosecutors <laughs> who now have the authority and the power to indict uh, a former sitting U.S. president, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, Letitia James in New York State, Fannie Willis in Georgia. What do you make of that, that it's three African-Americans who are a part of this uh, five-set situation that Connie mentioned a moment ago that could all lead to various indictments, but three of them are African-Americans. How do you read that 55 years to the day of King's assassination? First of all, this is vindication for Frank Wills, who stood at the crux and nexus of Watergate and was not defended but besmirched, Mm -hmm. forgotten in the annals of history. This is the come-up of Frank Wills. This is the legitimation of every black witness to the barbarism and the authoritarianism that has mocked democracy in America. Now, for those black people, and I understand why they said, we ain't made no progress. We ain't got nowhere. It ain't no different than 50 years ago. Stop telling that lie. 
Yes, it is tremendously difficult. Yes, there are barriers that remain that are deeply entrenched uh, in the soil of American society and in the fabric of American democracy. But when you think about the fact that these three legal representatives are responsible among the five for holding Donald Trump accountable, all of his real estate uh, shenanigans where he kept black folk out, all of his besmirching of the exonerated five has now come back in his face mm. with the stench of reality that you cannot long disserve the very government you are elected to serve. And black people have always been the best servants of democracy in America. And this shows it again. Kind I mentioned this earlier uh, in conversation with Chris Lehman in our last hour, a DC bureau chief for the nation magazine w was on when all this stuff started breaking. So Perfect guest to have on in our last hour, and Chris and I just went right at it. Um, but I raised this issue with him, and I want to get your take on it because you're Connie Rice. Um, so Lindsey Graham said on Sean Hannity's radio program that he believes that this grand jury indictment, these are his words, almost ensures that Trump will, in fact, be the Republican nominee in 2024. Connie Rice. I think he's right. Uh, he's wow. Raised $5 wow. Million. Wow. <laughs> OK. Uh, he's raised five million dollars in three days off of this indictment. Yeah. <laughs> you see, I mean, the, the problem with the, the I mean, the Republican Party, the establishment has their base. The problem is their base. He's he's now lionized. You've got you've got 20 percent of the hardcore base of the Republican Party who actually think that Donald Trump is a divine. Power. Mm. It's almost religious. It's gone beyond cult to re to cult of religion, mm -hmm. and so he's almost a deity. So I, I I think that as long as that base controls their primary, he probably is going to uh, this this is going to benefit him for the base. I don't think it's going to ben him benefit him for the general election. But getting back to and you want to talk about towering the the other guy you have on there, <laughs> Michael Dyson, yeah. he's the towering one. All right, <laughs> not me, but um, the fascism. The violence. Fascism means you use state power and violence to impose your political will and control over other people. And so fascism, state-sponsored violence, state-sponsored control. See, African Americans, we're the only American group that knows American totalitarianism. That's what slavery was. And knows American fascism firsthand. Mm -hmm. Because when you can lynch almost 5,000 human beings and have no one go to prison, that is, that is state-sponsored or state-shielded uh, terrorism against a pop. So we know the totalitarian dangers and the fascist danger, the, 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 the violence that ends up in assassinations. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated today, 55 years ago, and the, he, he was just the latest. Uh, if you think about all of the great... Uh, people who tried to forge forward to multiracial democracy, almost all of them have been assassinated. So we're we're in this moment where Trump is the current avatar. Thank God he's stupid, because I, as somebody asked me, what are you grateful for? I said, I'm just grateful that Trump didn't run against Lincoln, because I'd still be picking cotton. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, you got to be timing's everything, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if he had come at another time. Uh, we we would not be where we are, and 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 it may not be Martin Luther King Jr.'s America or Fannie Lou Hamer's America yet, but think about where we are now, and we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors who bled and died for us to be here at this point. 
And um, that's why we stand up and fight for a system that actually enshrined our inferiority in its yeah. founding documents. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, but, 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 but Tavis, this is an historic moment, not because Trump is being finally held to account and stands to face several other indictments on even more serious things. It's, it's a repudiation of, of, the, the, of the impunity of whiteness. Mm. And and so that that's also folded in here today. Yeah. Let me let me ask this, uh, Connie, and I'll let you go. Uh, I've got Dyson for the rest of the hour. He was already scheduled to be here to talk about the anniversary of King's assassination. Uh, I will likely. I don't mind sharing time. I, I don't it. mind sharing time. I appreciate, time yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. He he will yield some of his time to the gentle lady from uh, from Los Angeles, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Connie Rice. Uh, but, but I've got Dyson for the hour, and I hope I hope perhaps to talk to Connie a bit more tomorrow as this thing settles in. Uh, we'll get her back on the phone hopefully tomorrow for a few minutes we'll see uh, we'll, i'll let jd handle that but before i let you go now connie um i, I do want to ask this um speaking of just the, the, the politics of this we know that once uh this is all done uh, uh the arrest and the arraignment he, he we are told he's getting back in his motorcade going straight to the airport uh to fly back to mar-a-lago and tonight as we all know uh, he is giving a a speech tonight uh, i'm sure everybody's going to cover uh, to see what he has to say. Uh, but what do you expect from Donald Trump tonight? Uh, you say to me all the time, I quote you all the time, get your frame right. The frame's got to be right. So vis-a-vis <laughs> Donald Trump, what is the frame we're going to get from him tonight at the end of this day? And how does he proceed moving forward? Depends on what this judge tells him today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump has already threatened Bragg, uh, his wife, uh, the judge, he's impugned the court. So he's already issued threats to, 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 for attacks. He posed with a baseball bat next to a, a picture of Alvin Bragg. Mm-hmm. So he's already threatened violence. So I don't know whether this judge is going to give sort of general guidance to say, you know, you, speaking about this trial publicly, you, you should refrain from A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. That may constrain him a little bit, but I have a feeling that this judge is going to en- eventually have to gag him because this this indictment, although he tries to slop it off, talking about I'll, I'll grin for my, uh, my, 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 my photo, my mugshot, uh, he, he's actually very disturbed by this. This is what he has been trying to avoid his whole life, the humiliation that he knows he deserves. Mm-hmm. And so if he goes, flies down to Marlowe, he may just, just, just go, off, to go off the rails like he usually does, you know, in all caps and exclamation points, yep. and say all kinds of violent stuff. But I have a feeling he's got the weight of being before a judge in a criminal court may constrain him a little bit. We'll just have to wait and see, Tavis. I don't know what this man's going to do. I can tell you this. Um, earlier this morning, uh, as only Donald Trump could do, posting to his, um, his platform, Truth Social, uh, he pushed out the following literally in his car, in the motorcade, on the way to the courthouse. Here's what he pushed out on Truth Social. Quote, heading to lower Manhattan, the courthouse. Seems so surreal. Wow. They are going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America. MAGA. That's what Donald Trump pushed out this morning on True Social on his way to the courthouse. And uh, uh, it is, in fact, Mr. President, happening in America. Connie Rice, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for taking the phone call to get your initial thoughts on what's happening in real time. I appreciate you and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Michael Eric Dyson, don't you move. When we come forward, we'll continue with Dyson for the rest of the hour. Uh, M-E-D on M-L-K on K-B-L-A. 
This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. You do indeed belong here, and I'm glad to have you here. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. What a historic day this is. Um, we are watching uh, live in real time um, the uh, arrest and arraignment of a former president, the first ever, to be twice uh, impeached, uh, indicted, uh, arrested, and arraigned. And we'll get more of this tonight when he gets back to Mar-a-Lago uh, and uh, addresses the nation, at least those who will be, be paying attention. Um, so it, it is quite a day, but it is also the 55th anniversary of the assassination of uh, Dr. King. And I wanted to have as my guest uh, for the hour, I didn't know all this was going down uh, at the same time, but I wanted to have as my guest uh, none other than Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, um, author of the book, uh, I May Not Get There With You, uh, the true uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and author of the book, April 4, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr.'s Death and How It Changed America. He and I, uh, as a part of our, our friendship over many decades, have had so many conversations uh, about Dr. King. And uh, we've just um, uh, just uh, uh, just uh, delved uh, deeply. Uh, into uh, King's work and King's witness and King's legacy. And so no better person to have on in this hour uh, than Dr. Dyson, who I thank again for for, for making the time. Um, Michael, I want to talk to you, as I said, for all those reasons. But 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 again, it, it's, it's been 55 years and um, you were the first person to come to mind uh, to engage in dialogue. What do you make of the fact that uh, here we are 55 years later, um, still wrestling with that triple threat that King laid out 55 plus years ago. Yeah, well, you've eloquently stated it, uh, Tavis. Um, you know, here's a man who has now been dead 16 years longer than he lived. Mm. And yet his impact stretches across the horizon of not only American, but global history, marked by his insistence that that triplet, those terrible triplets you spoke of and referred to, of racism, of militarism and of poverty and economic inequality, classism, continue to mock the very uh, appreciation for democracy that we ought to have, which is why, again, to link it to what's going on today, the reason black people could never stand up and say, make America great again, is because it didn't achieve it in the first place to the degree that we were willing to acknowledge Black history, black struggle, black contribution to American society. Martin Luther King Jr. is an indictment against an American society that was great in many ways, great in vision, great in imagination, but not great in achievement. And so Dr. King was trying to close the gap between the ideals and the realities. The great poet T.S. Eliot said, between the ideal and the reality falls the shadow. And King was bringing a flashlight, a spotlight, into the shadows to highlight the ways in which American democracy had been kidnapped, had been handcuffed uh, by America in its refusal to acknowledge black people. So the fact that here we are again facing all of these problems in our own day and age with an authoritarian fascist president who, first of all, we tend to forget, denied the legitimacy of Barack Obama as an American citizen, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen this meme where 
you know, they have Obama saying, I'm attached my copy of my birth certificate to your, your indictment. Mm-hmm. The point is <laughs> that it comes full circle. The point is that Martin Luther King Jr. stood for what makes America the best it can be. A lot of Christians, especially right-wing Christians, have tried to appropriate King's legacy by saying, oh, we're just doing the same thing. We're against abortion. Uh, we're out here against wokeness and all that stuff. No, Martin Luther King Jr. used his religious basis, his Christian identity, to make America a just nation, whereas many of these white evangelicals use their Christianity and power to make this a Christian nation. That's not what King was about. So yeah. when you think about racism, the persistence of it, you think about classism, the economic inequality, the gulfs prevail. You've brilliantly documented this in terms of poverty and then in terms of the militarism and not just militarism in foreign theater, but the gun culture in which we live that is obsessed with violence as a resolution for our conflicts. Yep. Um, speaking of uh, Dr. King and Donald Trump and you, you, you wove those things beautifully as only M- uh, MED can do. Um, let me let me let me bring another parallel. You will recall back in 2017 when Donald Trump went ballistic. One of the first times he used the phrase "fake news," which he used, you know, countless times thereafter. One of his first fake news examples was a, a Time magazine reporter who had re- who had mistakenly reported that he had removed the MLK bust out of the White House that Barack Obama put in uh, in the Oval Office right. specifically. So Obama comes in puts in a bust of MLK uh, in uh, the Oval Office, and it was reported by Time that Trump had taken the MLK bust out. He, uh, I'm looking at Donald Trump live on television right now. There he is. Uh, the president wow. now is appearing as we speak right now, uh, live on uh, television, uh, making wow. his way into, wow. uh, into another room here for the arraignment. So he is now uh, being arraigned, uh, just walked in, being arraigned in the criminal courtroom uh, Miles, I'm going to hold on on news for a second. Let me do this uh, with Mike Dyson. Um, so he's uh, in the courtroom right now. Dr. Dyson being arraigned, just walked in uh, the room. Um, so uh, speaking of King and Trump, so Trump was upset that the media reported that he had uh, removed a bust, uh, a bust of MLK from the Oval Office. He had not done that. But I, I, I've often thought about <laughs> what Dr. King must have been whispering to Donald Trump every night when Trump was sitting. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say oh, every night. He, he didn't work that late. He didn't work that late. Remember <laughs> Trump? Wait, wait, wait. This is what he said now. Now, Donald, you removed my bus, but now you've been busted on my day. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, what, what, what do you make of the irony? Here we are now on this 55th anniversary God. of King's assassination. Uh, what do you make of the irony that for the four years he was there, you know, King is looking over Trump's shoulder, shoulders in the in the Oval Office, uh, Dyson? I mean, you can't, August Wilson couldn't have made better. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Spike Lee, Jordan Peele yeah. couldn't have written a horror story <laughs> deeper than that. But but the thing is, you know, symbols do make a difference. You know, a lot of people dismiss where we've come. Oh, it's all about symbols. Obama was symbols and progress is symbols. Not to a degree, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, when you go to church on Easter this coming Sunday and you take the bread and the wine, those are symbols too. That ain't real blood. That ain't real, um, you know, flesh, even though you've got those theologies that talk about its transformation. But Mm -hmm. the bottom line is Mm -hmm. symbols are important. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s bust brought there by Barack Obama was extremely important. Uh, he called Obama to a task. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. His his spirit called Obama 
to do more prophetic things in the name of a people and a democracy for which they had suffered. But especially for Donald Trump, you can imagine Dr. King being deeply disappointed at what Donald, what Donald Trump was doing to really undermine the full sweep of American democracy. So on this day, as Donald Trump sits in a room to be arraigned, it says that ultimately the power is not in your hands as president. It is not in the hands of anybody except those who wield it in defense of the law. So uh, Dr. King, I think, at this level, fought against unjust laws, but he wanted just laws to be put in place. Donald Trump was undermining just laws in order to have, you know, immoral and unethical interpretations of that law. And today, just a little bit, we inch closer back to the rule of law, not lawlessness. What do you make 55 years later? I think I could be wrong, but I, I, I know uh, MED pretty well. I think we agree on this. But let me just let me just probe it and find out. Um, what's your read on the ways in which 55 years uh, since his assassination, Dr. King has been, how might I put it, tamed, deodorized, uh, 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 defamed. Um, yeah. you, you, you take my point, the ways in which the longer, yeah. uh, the farther we get away from his, his time on earth. And to your brilliant point, he's now been dead 16 years longer than he lived. Of course, uh, assassinated at the, at the age of 39. What, what's your read of the ways though, that we have, uh, we have not, uh, wanted to deal with the radical King, but over the years made him less and less threatening as it were. No, you're, you're so right. And so brilliant there. And absolutely. I agree. You know, this, this, you know, this toothless tiger that we've presented. Mm. We did the same thing that Jesus were doing it to King. And in my mind, King and Jesus right there together. Mm. Most days, Jesus is on top. Don't get y'all, don't trip out don't there. <laughs> don't trip. I'm still a Baptist preacher. You got Jesus is laughing right now. It's a joke. Calm down. <laughs> but the thing is, is, is that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, fought his entire life for America and this nation to do the right thing. And in the time he had uh, at his disposal, he was able, Tavis, to transform this culture in a way that was fundamentally um, just and righteous. But that means that you're going to have a lot of haters out here. Mm. And Dr. King had a lot of haters. You know, we got to tell young people, don't be, don't be hoodwinked and bamboozled, as one of his peers said. The fact is, is that the FBI's second-in-command called Martin Luther King Jr. the most dangerous Negro leader in America. Yes. Don't forget that when we had the March on Washington, they had snipers stationed on the tops of buildings, lest any uh, rioting or any outrageous or offensive behavior take place. Dr. King was in the crosshairs of both the legitimate government that undermined his authority Ill, illegally often, but certainly unethically. And on the other hand, by the factions of bigotry and hatred out here who wanted to see him in. So they colluded, whether intentionally or not, um, in a force against the greatest witness for truth, justice and democracy we have ever seen. And so now we're trying to make him kumbaya. Mm. Now we're trying to make him we are of the world. Uh, no, he ain't Michael Jackson. He's Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, in that sense, I'm talking in terms of sure. the symbolic danger mm -hmm. that he represented. It's hard for us to remember that King was feared. Many white people called him Martin Luther Kuhn. 
They said, get him out of here. He's a horrible human being. He's already putting his nose into business that's not his own. And so now that he is dead, as a famous poet says, we have raised him uh, to higher heights. Look at even the most sacred ground in American political life in Washington, D.C., with the monuments. He rises about 19 feet above the highest monument next to him. So in death, we've resurrected him to a higher status than he ever achieved in life. That is not what Dr. King wanted. What he wanted is to, as he said, as a drum major instinct, is to talk about justice, is to talk about righteousness, is to talk about visiting the widows, visiting those who were in prison, making sure that the poor could have resources that were critical to them. So Dr. King should not be sanitized, should not be eviscerated, should not be rendered a toothless tiger. He is still a roaring lion for justice in American democracy. You're listening live to KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, our guest is Michael Eric Dyson. I'm Tavis Smiley. Uh, we are talking on this historic day as we watch the arraignment of Donald Trump uh, taking place live in Manhattan in the criminal courts building. He is in the courtroom now. Alvin Bragg is in there. Donald Trump is in there. Alvin Bragg, of course, the first African-American DA uh, in Manhattan. But it's going down right now inside the courtroom. The arraignment is underway uh, right now. But this day uh, is historic for other reasons. It's also the 55th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. And uh, as only Michael Eric Dyson can do, we are weaving these things together uh, in this one hour and hopefully making sense of all of it to you. Um, the state, uh, as it were, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, uh, the Republic, more expressly the DA in Manhattan, uh, who uh, has, has finally caught up with Donald Trump. We'll see what Fannie Willis does in Fulton County and Letitia James does in New York State and Jack Smith does at the federal level. Uh, on both January 6th and the Mar-a-Lago uh, documents, or the documents at Mar-a-Lago, uh, that is to come perhaps. But the, the state, uh, as it were, has finally caught up with Donald Trump. Uh, that same state went after King in a variety of vicious ways uh, that they ought to be embarrassed by all these years later. Let's talk about that part of, uh, of the life and legacy of Dr. King, the way the state uh, took their time to get Donald Trump, but came after uh, Dr. King uh, with a vengeance. Yeah, Doc. You know, you know, Tavis, uh, what I'm about to say, you as one of the most eligible bachelors in America wouldn't understand this part, even though you understand it uh, intellectually. But let me tell you, as a married man out here, it's hard enough to stay married without the government getting in your business, right? <laughs> you know, it's hard enough just to say, baby, I didn't mean to do it. Please forgive me. Yes. Let me buy you some chocolates on Valentine without the government sending your wife yes. a tape, mm. supposedly, of you engaged in extramarital affairs, telling you to commit suicide. That's right. Did y'all hear me? Yes. The government did that. The FBI, under J. Edgar Hoover, mandated that a letter be sent to Mrs. King telling her about the shenanigans, so, so to speak, supposedly of her husband. My point is, Tavis, beyond that, the, gov the FBI, that it's horrible what the government did. Beyond that, the FBI refused to warn King when there were legitimate threats to his life. Can you imagine? Mm. The FBI knew that there were credible threats to Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, but withheld that evidence. Unlike Obama, he ain't had no Secret Service. Yeah. Unlike the Honorable Minister Farrakhan, he ain't had no uh, uh, fruit of the FOI, yeah, FOI. FOI, yeah. fruit mm -hmm. of Islam. Mm -hmm. He was a man standing naked before the world, armed only with truth and a resistance to inequality. That's why he's the greatest to me. He's greater than Lincoln. He's greater than, than all those folk who occupied an office. 
He is a private citizen who, from his spot in the universe, changed the world. So, yeah, the government of the United States of America, and look, if you even go to conspiracy theories, and I don't go for those, but they were arguing that, and there's enough evidence here, that the government was planning uh, to have even heavier arms aimed at King because they felt he was a threat. Mm-hmm. So my point is that in the land in which we live, the home of the, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave, Martin Luther King Jr. tested the boundaries of American ideals and was found wanting because the state itself, and you brilliantly put that, the state itself, which is supposed to uphold the legitimacy and validity of citizenship, the state itself, which is supposed to ratify the basic principles of democracy that can be appealed to by the least minority, that very state leveraged its authority against Martin Luther King Jr. Now, the state does it all the time against black people. The, the, the basic face of the state that most black people face are the cops, mm-hmm. are the police. The police are the face of the state for American society and those who are black for the most part. But King was a victim not only of that kind of police scrutiny, he was also a victim of the naked power of its higher echelons of decision-making and of organization against his body. It's even more remarkable that he was able to do what he did. And if the wiretapping, Dr. Dyson, isn't enough, then you have those persons that uh, you've written about uh, and I've written about uh, you in two different books. Um, but those persons who were uh, infiltrated his organization, the government had informants, oh, uh, his, his treasurer, uh, a particular photographer, as you know, right. uh, they put people inside his camp. Uh, to spy on him right, every day and report right. back to Hoover directly. How how appropriate on Palm Sunday that we remember traitors, mm, Judases who mm. will infiltrate, who will sell our souls, their souls for thirty pieces of silver. If you do inflation, I don't know what that is right about <laughs> now. Maybe you sold him for for five grand. Mm. You know the point is that that yes, that's a brilliant point that we have to remember. The government infiltrated King's organization just like the other day. Let's y'all think we're making this up. When they found out that BLM was invaded by people, young white uh, activists, supposedly, who were really on the payroll of the government trying to instigate power, uh, instigate rioting against the government in the name of BLM. And most of them said, no, no, the black people said, nope, we ain't down for that. Mm -hmm. So the government is doing that trick stuff now, and they were doing that tricky stuff then. Remember, Tavis, uh, I think it was the group of the intruders who were invading King's March That's right. in uh, April, late March, and then early April of 1968, trying to turn for the first time a Martin Luther King Jr.-led march of violence. So you're right. The invaders, the intruders, those who were the informants, those who stood on the payroll of the government pretending that they were the friend of the Negro, Martin Luther King Jr. had to deal with that, plus a tape recorder under his bed. Yes. That makes me shudder. Don't let nobody put no recording device nowhere near me or anybody else when they are at their most private. None of us could withstand that kind of scrutiny. And yet, despite all of that, Tavis, Dr. King rises the highest in American soil. He does indeed. Uh, When we come forward, I want to come right to that last year of King's life. Um, That was the focus of my particular book, Death of a King. And I went there because it seems to me. Uh, that if you only know Dr. King in 1963 at the March on Washington, you don't really know this, brother. Uh, we, we come to know who we are in the darkest days, the darkest moments of our lives. And if you don't know King and see King in 67 to 68, 
uh, April 467 to April 468, then you really don't know King. Uh, Dyson, uh, Dr. Dyson knows the story better than I. Uh, and I want to talk about that last year uh, to, give you a, to give you a clear understanding of who Dr. King really was. And as I like to say, the good news is he was as advertised. Uh, when under the threat and under the microscope, as Dr. Dyson said earlier, he showed who he really was. Uh, that doesn't make him a, as Jesse Jackson might say, doesn't make him a perfect servant. He's just a public servant, not a perfect servant. Uh, but he was as advertised. When we come forward, we'll continue our conversation about uh, Dr. King on this 55th anniversary of his assassination, as we also are watching live the arraignment underway right now in Manhattan of the 45th president of these United States. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Dr. Michael Eric Dyson on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, he is the Distinguished University Professor of African-American and um, uh, Diaspora Studies, Colleges of Arts and College of Arts and Sciences, uh, and Centennial Professor at Vanderbilt University, the author of not one but two books on Dr. King, April 4, 1968. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s death and how it changed America. And I may not get there with you, the true Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Dyson, you, you really got you, you really got to love a subject to write two books about it. You, you, you know it, Doc. I mean, that man influenced me yes. from the time I was uh, young and in, in Detroit, Michigan. So, yeah, you know, he uh, he had a profound influence on my life. So. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, let me go to this last year. Uh, you heard me say a moment ago uh, that. It seems to me that if you only know King at his at his apex, at his crescendo, uh, as as many refer to it, uh, the I have a dream speech, sixty three, August twenty eight, March on Washington. If that's all you know, then you don't really know him. Uh, for me, right. uh, that last year, man, tells me everything about Dr. King that I need to know. How do you? And I'll shut up and give you the microphone. How do you regard? or process what he had to endure in that last year, starting April 4, 67, with the Beyond Vietnam speech. And they literally killed him one year, almost to the very hour later, April 4, 1968. How do you process that last year? Well, we turn to your book, The Brilliant uh, Evocation of King's Last Year, uh, and understand what went on from that time to break silence speech where King uttered words most leaders don't. He said, you wouldn't have found my name among the profiles in courage. Mm. <laughs> He's saying, no, not me, because I was, I was cowardly. Mm. I didn't step up to the plate. Think about it. Stokely Carmichael and Mrs. King were both ahead of Dr. King in terms of anti-war activism and in terms of the defense of pacifism of a sort. But King delivers that monumental speech uh, in at Riverside Church, mm. where I've had the pleasure of uh, and honor of preaching yes. a few times. And Dr. King uh, broke the sound barrier, so to speak, with that speech. The greatest activist in America now throwing his weight behind the anti-war movement was monumental in terms of his impact. But it meant, Tavis, as you well know and documented, that King had a bigger target on his back even then. Mm -hmm. he's, he's going against the war in Vietnam. Then he has the gall to go against poverty in America in a serious way. Yes, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the greatest president for Negroes since uh, Lincoln, despite his own, you know, racism and bigotry. Mm -hmm. The point is, is that, that LBJ had made a war on poverty, but King wanted to take it to the next level, to make it real. He said, look, when you pass the Civil Rights Bill in 64, it didn't cost you anything. Pass Civil Rights, uh, Voting Rights Act in 65, thing, 65 didn't cost you anything. He said, this is going to cost you something. So he ramped up in that last year 
his commitment by planning and organizing a poor people's march uh, to Washington, D.C. Then when you think about the great speeches that he gave, remember, Dr. King spoke more per year than days were in the year. Mm -hmm. Now, just imagine that, that he's given more speeches per year than there are days in the year. Andrew Young said he had a war on sleep, mm. which is why Negroes got to stay woke. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that Martin Luther King Jr. gave, uh, had uh, Stokely Mark Carmichael come to Ebenezer Baptist Church to where he's delivering uh, the drum major instinct mm -hmm. so he can hear full force his blasting of American imperialism. He is joining with other activists, uh, the student movement. Uh, the white-led student movement, along with uh, members of the African-American student movement that were left, joining with them and in terms of protest against the war in Vietnam, fighting with, think about it now, and I do mean literally uh, fighting with uh, Whitney Young at the Urban League, uh, who increasingly King was alienated among the community of black leaders in America, and then personally suffering from depression mm -hmm. during this entire year. As Martin Luther King Jr. is planning, speaking, marching, he is personally battling his demons of trying to get over the depression that has descended upon him because every day he is facing the threat of death. And as you know, Tavis, in that last year, it got even worse. Martin Luther King Jr. had the worst case of hiccups that anyone can imagine often. Mm -hmm. He talking and it, right mm -hmm. and then when he got up to speak he was flawless and when he sat back down more hiccups because his body was rebelling against the formidable forces of hate that were trained on dr king's body and then he was uncomfortable in a room that had windows because mm -hmm. he wondered perpetually who is going to take me out that and so much more in your brilliant book you just go into even further detail in terms of the religious you know, apostasies that he was confronting, the, the people who believed that he was not the embodiment of Christ's spirit. You've got mm -hmm. black religious conservatives uh, jamming him. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle. And yet this man stood tooth and nail against the very forces of hatred to embody the best example we've ever had, I think, of not only an American, but a Christian human being bearing witness to the power of the divine. We are watching the uh, arraignment of Donald Trump <clears throat> uh, take place right now in real time in Manhattan. He is in the courtroom uh, with Alvin Bragg, the first African-American to be DA. Uh, in Manhattan, uh, the arraignment is underway, uh, and uh, you'll be, uh, of course, hearing more about that throughout the day here uh, on KBLA Talk for Kennedy, certainly uh, in Ariva's program, Ariva Martin in real time, 4 to 6 today. I'm sure she'll unpack all of this, and, of course, uh, Dominique Prima tomorrow morning, first things first, and back on my show again tomorrow. My guest tomorrow, by the way, in the first hour is the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. He's my guest for the full hour tomorrow, so I know we'll be unpacking a lot of this in our first hour tomorrow as well. So stay tuned to KBLA Talk 1580 for more detail about <clears throat> this breaking news regarding the arrest and arraignment of Donald Trump. But it is also the case uh, that today is the 55th anniversary of the assassination of MLK. Uh, and we were already scheduled in this hour uh, to have this conversation with Dr. Dyson and uh, no better person to my mind to talk uh, 
about MLK 55 years later than Michael Eric Dyson. And so uh, uh, Donald Trump can go sit down somewhere. As a matter of fact, he is sitting down somewhere in a courtroom right about now. Uh, we're going to talk about Dr. King and his life and his legacy on KBLA. So let, so let me get, I'm watching my clock. We've got about six minutes left in this hour. Let me get perhaps both of us in some trouble. Wouldn't be my first time and probably not my last time getting us in some trouble. But let me just, let me just say this to you publicly. I think you and I may have teed this up somewhat privately, but I've never said this publicly, but I want to get your read on it. Uh, for so many years, mm-hmm. so many years, Michael, um, I posited that, like many others, that Dr. King died too soon. Mm-hmm. And with you, I don't need to color this question any more than that. Um, yeah, right. But as time has gone on, I've started to rethink my notion that he died too soon for a variety of reasons. And I know you're feeling me on this. Um, yes, but sir. but I, again, I, I'm at the point now in my life, you know, with my hero that I am not so sure that he died too soon. I'll leave that hanging right there and let you pick up and run with it. There's no doubt, Doc. Now, you and I have never pretended to be God. We, we, we would have loved for Dr. King to live to 150. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he said himself, longevity has its place. Yes. He would like to do it. But let's be brutally honest. For the movement to which he devoted his life, for the people he loved above all others, though he loved all people, for the practices and the principles that animated his uh, existence and pushed him forward, Dr. King's death was a saving force Mm. that transformed the existence of those principles, practices, ideas, movements into another arena, into another stage, projected them into uh, a stratosphere that they would never enjoy. There is no way on earth, Tavis, that Martin Luther King Jr. would have a birthday uh, devoted to him without his death. Mm. There is no way on earth that King would be as celebrated and widely acclaimed and he lived. Had he lived, we would have to see the contradictions of the man come even mm. more forcefully forward. Mm. Had he lived, right, and, and we wait um, with trepidation at the revelation of documents in 2027 yes. that were sealed. Remember Ronald Reagan, when asked, was he a communist, he said, well, we'll have to see in 50 years. Mm-hmm. He, he was talking about um, Martin Luther King Jr., or was it 30 years, I guess, Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. and the way in which uh, the FBI's files had been put aside so that they would not be revealed to the public. So there's no way that had Martin Luther King Jr. lived, he would have received the acclaim or the ideas for which he devoted his life would get as broad a hearing as possible. Look, in the very aftermath of his death in 1968, Congress passed rather dramatically and rather quickly the Fair Housing Act. Mm-hmm. It would have dragged on for a while, Tavis had Martin Luther King Jr. not died. We are not celebrating his death. We are not saying he should have died when he did, and thank God. No, we're saying since he had to die, Mm -hmm. since he met a bullet in Memphis, that the time in which he lived, and I'll I'll do better than that, Tavis. I'll quote you from an article I read uh, right after his death that I will never forget, um, which said that it didn't name which one. It said one of King's, uh, you know, uh, cohorts, one of his greatest lieutenants said, it was best for the movement that King died when he did 
because it transformed that movement and gave it a moral authority that it would have never otherwise had mm. in the absence of King. Had Jesus lived to be 77, yeah. going around saying, look, look, follow me, because mm-hmm. I, I, I got arthritis now, but I still know the way. <laughs> it's not going to be the same thing as being going into the ground and being lifted up on the third day. So, yes, uh, I believe, uh, Tabith, and not only for Dr. King's movement, let me be even more brutally honest, for Dr. King himself, mm. for what would have been revealed, for what he would have had to confront with the kind of public shaming that might have been in the offing had he lived. I think at that particular moment, it was the, the, the right time in terms of the Kairos, in terms of the yes. holy sense of time, and in terms of the majestic movement of eternity. I think it was the time for Dr. King to give up the ghost so that those of us who were left behind could breathe freer air. <sighs> I couldn't have said it better. Then again, anything Dyson says, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so no, I doctor, would, no, not I at would all. Just leave that. Mm-hmm. Read I, that book of De- Tavis Smiley. That last year, y'all. If y'all yeah. want to know what Dr. King was up against, please read that book. It's an extraordinary book. No, I'll just leave it right, right there. I, I, I think about this though sometimes, Michael. That uh, King lived longer. Uh, he might have been the original okay. cancel culture, man. He might have been the original. Doc, you, you better speak on it. I don't want to be canceled. I don't only want cancel check. A cancel subscription. I do not want to be canceled. <laughs> Michael Eric Dyson is one of a kind, uh, my dear friend and brother, over many, over many decades now. Uh, two books on Dr. King, April 4, 1968, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s death and how it changed America. And secondly, I may not get there with you, the true Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Dr. Dyson, I love you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Thank you for your time, sir. All the best to you. We'll talk soon. Thank you. We love you so much, my man. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. What a day. What a show. Uh, The arraignment of Donald Trump um, uh, still uh, ongoing. He has now pled not guilty to 34 counts. He has now pled not guilty to 34 counts. This story developing throughout the day. Be sure to tune in to Ariva Martin in real time today, 4 to 6 p.m. And Ariva will get you caught up on all the happenings between now and then four hours from now tomorrow morning. First things first, Dominic DePrima. And I'm back here at Local in tomorrow morning with our show, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. And we will stay on track of this developing story. Thank you for tuning in to KBLA Talk 1580. Until tomorrow morning, Lord willing. And as always...